0: Chapter 4 of Doomsday Eve by Robert Moore Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Doomsday Eve, Chapter 4 The jar of striking the ground seemed to bring the intelligence agent back to consciousness instantly. As Nedra started to kneel beside him, he was already getting to his feet. She tried to help him rise. He shrugged her hand away. What happened?" she asked. "'Nothing,' he said. This didn't seem quite right. I—I—' He tried to think what had happened. "'I fainted, that's all. I just fainted.' To him this seemed a reasonable explanation for everything that needed explaining. Nedra seemed to think otherwise. "'But men like you don't just faint,' she protested. "'I did.' They don't faint unless something is wrong with them," Nedra continued. "'Are you sure you're not suffering from delayed shock following the bomb explosion? Or—' Her voice slid away into silence, as if she were afraid to voice the thought that was in her mind. Behind her, West said nothing. "'I just did it,' Zen said, becoming more indignant. "'I fainted. Who says it can't be done?' Confusion existed somewhere. He was sure it was the nurse who was confused. He shook his head in an effort to clear up her difficulty. "'I saw you do it. All I am trying to say is that perhaps there may be a reason for it.' "'Nope,' Zen said. "'I'm not going to the aid station. No reason for it. I'm all right. It's the world out there that is wrong.' This made sense to him. I know you are all right," Nedra answered. Her face showed strain. But it might be a good idea to have the doctor's check, just to make sure. Zen, busy shaking his head again, hardly heard her. He had the impression that her confusion would clear up in a minute. Somehow it reminded him of the confusion that he had suffered after inhaling a whiff of nerve gas once. When had this happened? He was not sure now. Perhaps it had taken place in the remote past, perhaps on some other planet." He realized his mind was wandering. Again he shook his head. "'But I really think, Colonel, I wasn't shaking my head at you,' Zen corrected. "'Good. Then we will go see the doctors.' "'I didn't mean that either. I was shaking my head to clear it. There's a fog in it.' "'A fog in your head?' Unease appeared in her voice. Yes. What's wrong with that? Lots of men have fogs in their heads. To him this seemed a reasonable statement. Lots of men have to go to the docks every couple of weeks to have the fogs blown out of their heads. Thinking he had made a joke, he laughed. Nedra did not think he had said anything funny. Resolutely she took his arm. Come with me, Colonel. As she led him toward the truck which the medics were using for a first aid station, something happened. He saw clearly. He saw everything. The ability to see came suddenly out of nowhere. One second it was not there. Then it was there. It was like seeing with eyes, except it was better than ocular perception had ever been. With it he was not only able to see surfaces, he could also see into the interior of things. An acute understanding of what he saw went with the perception. He saw that the universe was as tall as a man, and no taller. He saw that it was as wide as a man and no wider. He saw that it was as broad as a man and no broader. He saw the human race in its entirety, one man and all men, all men in one man. Simultaneously he saw the whole history of the race, He saw the long journey it had made from so-called inanimate matter to the point where it was now a creature that looked outward to the stars. He saw that the destiny of the race lay in those stars, and in all that vast expanse of space between them, if it did not destroy itself in the process of growing to star stature. He saw that the race could do exactly this that it could blow itself back to the component atoms that composed it, in which case the long and toilsome, the heart-breaking struggle upward from the atomic level, would have to begin all over again. He also knew what he was doing with this clear seeing. He was touching the race-mind. He was in contact with the race-field. His consciousness had been lifted to the level of that vast, all-pervading but very subtle force-field that comprised the race-mind. The knowledge was sudden agony in him, a pain that was needle-sharp in the region of his heart. The pain was strange, because, while he could feel it and knew it was happening in his body, it had no meaning to him. He was detached from it, it hurt his body, but it did not hurt or harm him. His body was alarmed by the pain, his breath quickened, and a faint trace of sweat appeared on his skin. But he was not alarmed even if his body fell dead he would not be concerned. "'What is it, Kurt?' his ears heard Nedra say. She had detected his heavy breathing, and she was alarmed. "'Are you about to faint again?' "'No,' his lips answered. His body laughed at the question. He heard the sound of his laughter as being both his and not his. His body knew it was not going to faint. His laughter sounded hollow and out of place but he did not care about that either. Ahead, soldiers were lined up at the back end of the truck, waiting their turn in line. "'Your rank entitles you to priority,' Nedra said hesitantly. "'In the place where I am now my rank doesn't exist,' he answered. "'I join the end of the line, I take my turn.' He was quite stubborn about this. The nurse looked pleased. He wondered if he had said something important to him what he had said seemed obvious. Behind him West was a silent shadow wrapped in an enigma. Even with his sudden new perception, his contact with a higher form of consciousness, he could not perceive West clearly. Something about the craggy man defied penetration and analysis. The men in the line ahead of him waited for their turn, shuffling forward each time the medics finished with their examination. There was no talk in the line. Not a man grumbled, not a man complained. Knowing men, Zen knew that this was ominous. These men had had it. They knew that they had had it. In the face of that knowledge nothing else mattered. Outwardly they looked fit. Inwardly something had happened to them. It seemed to Zen that he could see glows coming from their bodies. One was swaying. Zen seemed to glimpse a blob of light moving suddenly upward from the man. The soldier fell. He did not move a muscle after he hit. Nedra started toward him. Zen shook his head. No use, he said. Why not? Zen pointed skyward. He went that way. Her face whitened as she caught his meaning. I'll make sure. She moved forward and inspected the fallen man, felt for a pulse and felt again, then got to her feet. As she returned her back seemed to have acquired a new sag. An officer shouted from the truck, his voice gravel rough from tension. In response a stretcher bearing detail moved forward. They inspected the body of the fallen man, then lifted it and tossed it to the side of the trail. One clipped a dog-tag from it, then ran a counter over it. He grunted to his companion who tied a red tag on the dead man's wrist. "'Up that way, boys, you can find some more,' Zen called to them, jerking his thumb up the slope. "'We're not a burial detail,' was the answer. The soldiers in the line shuffled forward. "'Hey, it's gone,' Zen said suddenly. "'What's gone?' "'I'm back,' Zen said. "'You never went anywhere,' the nurse said. It's gone and I'm back both mean the same thing," he tried to explain. The thing that is gone is my contact with the race field. I'm back means that all of a sudden I'm normal. I'm back here. I'm looking out of my eyes, I'm hearing with my ears. I don't know everything any longer." Days was in him. Worse than the days was the fact that even the memory of the experience was receding. Agony came with this recession. It seemed to him that this experience was the most important thing that had ever happened to him. And it was going away. He watched it slide out of his memory. He felt like running wildly to try and recapture it. Which way he would run did not matter, just so he ran until he found it again. He fought the impulse to run. The experience was not out there. It could not be found if he searched the whole world for it. It was inside him. Nedra looked at West and started to speak, but the craggy man motioned her to silence. "'Saul on the road to Damascus,' Zen muttered. Something like this happened to Saul on the road to Damascus." Kurt, Nedra said. Again the craggy man motioned her to silence. The fellow, rough mountaineer that he was, seemed to have some perception of the turmoil inside a fellow human being, and more than that, to have understanding and sympathy. "'I contacted the race mind,' Zen said. "'For a minute I was in touch with the field of the race. But it's gone now,' he added. Sadness and a falling voice went with the last words. "'Step in front of the scope, soldier,' a gravel voice growled behind him. Turning, he saw that he was next in line. The lieutenant in charge of the first aid station had spoken to him. Seeing the eagle on Zen's helmet, he hastily apologized. "'I beg your pardon, sir.' "'It's all right,' Zen said." For an instant, as conflicting ideas competed for expression in him, he wondered who he was and why he was here. Then he remembered what had happened well-established reaction patterns took over and he stepped into position in front of the scope. Inside the back end of the truck a transformer hummed. Although he could not feel it, he knew that a powerful stream of radiation was passing through his body and that a count was being made of the radioactivity he had absorbed. The lieutenant studied his meters, then looked up at Zen. "'You're all right, sir,' he seemed puzzled. "'Not hot, eh?' No, sir, you're not. Frankly, I don't understand it. Oh, you've got a little exposure, but nothing serious." I was in one of the old mines when the blast went off, Zen explained. Then that accounts for it. You were lucky as hell, sir. Next. Catching Nedra's arm, Zen swung her in front of the scope. The experience with higher levels of consciousness had been forced out of his mind, and he was all intelligence officer but I'm all right. I mean, there's nothing wrong. Are you out of your mind again?" "'Yes,' Zen said. "'But I've got the rank to make my decision stick whether I'm out of my mind or not. Lieutenant, check this woman. This is an order.' Zen snapped out the words with all the precision and authority of a drill-field sergeant training recruits. "'Yes, sir,' the startled medical officer said. Ignoring Nedra's protests, Zen held her in place while the equipment was put into operation. Behind them, West watched. The faintest trace of an approving smile showed on the craggy man's face. The lieutenant looked up from his meters. "'She's all right, too, sir.' "'Sure of that?' "'Of course I'm sure. This counter doesn't lie.' The medical officer was indignant. "'So was Nedra.' The violet eyes shot sparks of anger at the colonel. Zen was unimpressed. Deep inside, he was tremendously relieved. She had come down alive. She was unharmed. This was enough to make him feel good all over. He also knew what she was. No ordinary mortal could have remained in the hot zone for the length of time she had been there and emerged unharmed. He did not mind her anger. Instead he turned to West. You're next. He did not know what response to expect from the craggy man. It might be anything. To his surprise, West smiled. "'Glad to, Colonel. I was hoping I would get tested, so I would know where I stood.' Without hesitation, West stepped in front of the scope. While I am certain I did not receive enough exposure to do any damage, still it is best to follow your example and make certain. The deep voice was suave, with tiny overtones of amusement in it somewhere. Again the lieutenant studied his meters and again he looked up. Real perplexity was on his face. Three O.K.'s in a row! I didn't have a single O.K. up until now!' His gaze went up the slope in the direction where the bomb had exploded. "'Does that mean I'm all right?' West asked. "'Yes, definitely all right,' the lieutenant answered and I don't pretend to understand it." "'I was in a hole, too,' West said. He seemed to be amused at some joke known only to him. The lieutenant brightened. "'Then I understand it.' "'I wish I did,' Zen said to himself. There was no longer any doubt in his mind that Nedra was one of the new people. As to West, the man was an enigma. Not knowing how long West had been exposed to the radiation, Zen did not know what to make of his freedom from it, but there was certainly something peculiar about him. Colonel, it was good to meet you. West was coming toward him with outstretched hand. Zen had the impression that the man's hand could turn into a veritable bear trap if West chose. Perhaps we shall meet again, sir. The words were a statement, not a question. An enigmatical smile played over the craggy man's face. Who knows whether we shall meet again, Zen answered, shrugging. Generally, when people say goodbye these days, they mean goodbye forever. I know. Sadness showed on the craggy, lined face. It is too bad that things have to be this way. Well, experience is a difficult school, but Homo sapiens seems incapable of learning in any other. It is war," Zen said. I disagree with you there," West said. War is only a symptom of the disease, it is only an expression of humanity. War itself is not at fault but man. Nor can man really be regarded as being at fault, since what he is now going through is only a stage of growth. Momentarily the memory of the contact with the race-mind flicked through Zen's consciousness. I know that," he said. Then he hesitated. Or I knew it once. Ah, when? Up the slope there, I knew it. But I have forgotten now what I knew. Zen spoke slowly. He was trying hard to remember, or to forget, he wasn't sure which. Ah! West repeated. Good day, sir. Nedra, I would like to speak with you for a moment before I leave. With your permission, of course, Colonel Zen. "'Certainly,' Sand said. He watched the nurse and the craggy man move up the trail a few steps. They carried on a conversation in tones too low for him to overhear, then parted. West went down to the bottom of the ravine and crossed to the other side of the gulch, where he began to climb the opposite slope, staying as far away from the radioactive zone as possible. Nedra returned to Zen beside the truck. "'Does he live back there?' the intelligence agent asked. "'I really don't know,' the nurse answered. "'I think he does, but I'm not certain.' "'It's rough country to live in. From what I have seen of him, he seems capable of living almost anywhere. Do you know him well?' The violet eyes regarded him thoughtfully. You are asking a great many questions, sir." I'm going to ask more. My telephone number, no doubt. I'm sorry, but I don't have a telephone." The violet eyes grew pensive. But if I did have a telephone number, there is no one I would rather give it to than you. He felt a warm glow at her words. The dream that he had once shared with millions of other men, of a wife and kids, came into his mind again a yearning that was as old as history. If he had his free choice he would go with this dream. He knew he did not have a free choice. Indeed, he doubted if he had any choice at all. Nor had any other man. History had moved past the day when this dream could be realized. Fate was sweeping it into the dust-heap of good things that were gone forever. End of chapter 4